Welcome to FedScoop's podcast series on IT modernization in government, underwritten today by Duo Security, now a part of Cisco. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in this week's episode, we're talking about how agencies can streamline identity access controls and address authentication with PIV equivalent alternatives. Talking with us today are two security and identity access experts from Duo Security, a leading provider of identity authentication and zero trust security platforms. Let me first welcome Dean Scontras, Vice President of Public Sector at Duo. Dean has extensive backgrounds in enterprise security in the public sector, working most recently with Force 10 Networks, Fiberlink, Hewlett Packard, and MobileIron before joining Duo Security. Dean, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. And also joining us is Sean Frazier, Advisory Chief Information Security Officer for Federal Government at Duo Security. Sean is a veteran systems engineer dating back to the days of Lotus Development, Netscape, and Opsware, and more recently with Cisco and MobileIron before joining Duo Security. Sean, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, White. For all the security solutions available in the market, we still see a significant number of breaches occurring at government agencies from phishing attacks. And Dean, why are these vulnerabilities still so widespread today? Good question. If you look at the majority of the breaches in the last, you know, five, ten years, you can find that it was always somebody's compromised credentials. And as Sean likes to say, yeah, phishing is still a thing. And the reality is in the federal government, there are directives by which, you know, you have to impose some sort of, you know, primary and secondary form of authentication. But as we moved on from policy and, you know, the government wants to move to mobile and cloud, there are gaps, right? Sometimes these agencies use, you know, less sophisticated ways to fill those gaps. So the bad guys are always looking for the lowest common denominators and where those gaps are. There are applications that don't support PIV and CAC today. So sometimes agencies will use username and password and and maybe a lesser form of multi-factor, right? That creates that vulnerability for that attacker to create the attack vector to to ascertain those credentials, right? And once they get in, uh, we know the havoc that's unleashed. The the most popular one, of course, was was the last election. If you read the Mueller report, most of those compromises was because somebody used a bad password and the bad guys were able to get in in the door uh, with the password and then create havoc from there on out. And I think we in government have been forward thinking when it comes to kind of identity security. I mean, do you think back to HSPD-12, which, which was kind of ratified, put together in 2004, and that was really a good stab at trying to take care of this problem. But the challenge is the further we get away from that and we get into the cloud and we get into mobile and all these other different technologies, it didn't fit that model anymore. So while it was great 15 years ago, it doesn't fit today. So we're really in a requirement where people cannot use the smart card for everything they need to do. So the next best default to that is to use the password. And as Dean pointed out, that's kind of the lowest hanging fruit for attackers. If you can guess this string or get this string and you hang all your security hopes on that small string of text, then all someone has to do is figure out what that is and they get access to everything. And that's kind of not a good model to to have. Well, Sean, that's an interesting point. So what kind of alternatives are there to PIV cards that can provide a more modern form of multi-factor authentication? Certainly, I tell people, don't put cards away. People have made big investments in PKI on the cards, and you can use them where you need to use them. But as you're looking at new things, you're looking at IT modernization is a good example. You're looking at applications that you're going to need to modernize. You need to look for alternatives. And the good news is that the policies that are kind of coming out now are meant to be more more flexible policies, so not something where it's expected to live for 10 or 15 years. It's something that can evolve as the agencies evolve. So multi-factor authentication is a good one, right? So if you can't use a smart card, 
and you have to use a password, do best practices around passwords. So use multi-factor authentication. Use a password manager. That way you're not necessarily locking yourself into anything. You're not exposing yourself with a password, but you're also not presenting password fatigue on your users. Because the other piece of this is we always forget about is the users at the end of the day. These are the people that have to do stuff. And we can't tell them you need a really complicated password and you need to change it every 10 days. So we need to be smarter about helping them do their jobs. And Dean, some additional thoughts on that? Yeah, this discussion we have with customers, right, it, it can become a little bit religious. I think there's two sides of the camp that see, you know, PivCat going away sometime soon. And as Sean said, that's certainly not what we're suggesting at all, right? And I think the other side that's kind of pushing it a little bit faster, and we're all sort of waiting the, the new draft memo. And our early interpretation is that there are equivalents. And, and, um, and, and precisely as Sean said, those equivalents for PivCAC uh, are for applications and use cases that cards can't cover, whether they're the application or device or what, what have you. So we're starting to see the policy sort of realign too. As Sean said, everybody is in agreement that you know, the, the future will be some form of uh, multi-factor towards zero trust and continuous authentication. But right now, the standing policy is HSPD-12. So as we like to say, we're not the or proposition right now, we're, we're an and proposition. None of this stuff lives in a vacuum, right? All this stuff is interrelated. So if you look at CDMs, which is you know, kind of continuously verifying what's going on and mitigating issues, it, we're talking about the same thing. You talk about zero trust and identity security as a core tenant. It is a fundamental tenant of zero trust. So you can't have zero trust without strong identity proofing and identity security. So all of these things are working together. Well, Sean, can you briefly describe uh, how these alternative solutions work and maybe answer the question of why can they be trusted compared to a physical a PIV card? So, I mean, the, the great news about this is that, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, people were not using multi-factor authentication in their personal life, and that has changed dramatically because we're having the same issues on the commercial side. So if I'm a consumer accessing my bank account or I'm a consumer accessing Facebook, I want to have that same level of security. I don't want someone guessing my Facebook password, and oh, by the way, that's maybe my banking password and probably also maybe my LinkedIn password. I want to make sure that those things are protected as well from a personal perspective. I mean, that's my privacy. That's my data. The enterprise is no different. So one of the things that we fundamentally focus on at Duo is making the complex as simple as possible and as easy as a biometric, a thumbprint or a face ID or something that, that exactly. a user is already used to and already kind of carries around with them every day. What we're talking to customers about today is, is kind of bridging them from the card world and being able to derive and authenticate from the card to some kind of FIPS 140-2 level 3 encryptor hardware device. I think the logical next step, as Sean was alluding to, is that then resides on the phone. So what we propose is, is a bridge from where you are today without blowing up what you have today to a state where you could actually use the device as an equivalent. And then, then the third leg of the stool is moving to zero trust. Everybody is interested in how to do that. I think the question we get most from customers today is how to we do that? How do we get from HSPD 12 to zero trust and do it step by step? You know, having the NIST 863.3 policy where you've got these different assurance levels based upon enrollment and based upon authentication have helped. You can say as an agency, if I'm protecting this application, I can use Duo with a mobile second factor authenticator. If I'm doing something a little more stringent, which I would normally use a PIV card for, I can use Duo plus a YubiKey, um, for example, at a higher level of assurance. So their flexibility is starting to come out. Great point. Our FedRAM sponsor, that's precisely the use case they're looking at, right? They're looking at the newness policy, and they're looking at AL1, AL2, and AL3. How do I fulfill that? I can fulfill it with, with uh, AL1 and AL2 with a dual push, and I can fulfill AL3 with Duo and Ubico. And again, our sponsor happens to be a place with a lot of contractors, a lot of researchers, and, and a lot of people who don't have PIV cards. 
But in the meantime, they've laid their foundation for us being that cloud middleware for, for multi-factor to zero trust. So that works really nicely in that environment. So one of the things I'm hearing here is that these newer technologies still conform with the government's security policies and regulations and can support an agency's decision to use alternatives. Is that correct? It absolutely is. We, we talked about some of this with identity guidance that's coming out of OMB soon. We've talked about the NIST guidance that already kind of supports this. Um, there's also trusted internet connection guidance is changing too. So all these things, they are completely interrelated. So cloud, mobile, this identity stuff, IT modernization, these are all part of this thing that we're all kind of working with. And I always look at this as a journey. I don't look at it as I expect to ever be done with this. This is a journey where I'm enabling the use of, of commercial off-the-shelf technology, the best and capable technology I use in my personal life every single day to solve the mission problem in an agency. Well, terrific. Finally, can either of you or both of you share some examples of how agencies are implementing zero trust principles when access cards cannot be used? So Dean mentioned one example. The case where I have the requirements for HSPD-12 and specifically FIPS-201 are so stringent that I can't have a flexibility for, say, a temporary worker or something where someone might be a very transient or ephemeral worker where they'll come in and work 30 days, be away for 30 days, come back for 30 days. So those kinds of use cases are something where you need something with a lot more flexibility. The other big one, the humongous one that people don't necessarily think about is that the government is doing BYOD, right? It's not necessarily sanctioned. If you talk to agencies, they say, well, we don't have a BYOD program. I mean, the reality is it's happening. They just don't know it's happening. And in BYOD, you really can't use a smart card. Mobile doesn't really work with smart cards anyway, but you can't even really use the derived credential, which was supposed to solve the mobility smart card problem because you can't do that in the BYOD world. So because of that, these kinds of technologies are really lend themselves well to the way we work in the rest of the world in our personal lives. And again, in the commercial side, commercial is all about bring your own device, use whatever technology you have in your pocket. I'm not going to buy the device for you. And, and the agencies are kind of moving in that path too. I remember selling Wi-Fi to, to agencies a long time ago, and they would tell us, oh, we have a no Wi-Fi policy, but then you bring in some kind of detection device, and you could see all this shadow IT pop up all over the place. The same thing happens with agencies today. We know agencies today that are discovering that people are, are finding workarounds and, and bringing their own devices and getting access to those applications. So I think your, your second half of your question, are, are they moving to zero trust? And the reality is when you implement something like Duo in conjunction with some of our industry partners, again, it's the cloud middleware that will provide your level of authentication, whether it's today if it's some kind of derived authenticator from a PIV card, or whether it's facial recognition or some kind of biometric, or whatever the authenticator wants to be, you don't have to put in a new infrastructure to support that. We supported the Apple face recognition technology within 10 days of it being released as a form of authentication, right? So, so now you've got that cloud middleware in there that at least your form of authentication piece of it is in place. And then, then there's the other industry partners, the, the people who do the governance. The nice thing about the cloud middleware piece of it, it it's in there. It's, it's, it's like ragu spaghetti sauce. You don't need to pull that out and change it. It will support whatever form of authentication you're going to have in the future. I'm pretty sure that was Prego, and, and I don't know what no, Prince is. Another example of a government entity that comes to mind that's actually implementing zero trust today that we're working with did it uh, because they were they were actually the target uh, of foreign hackers. So they had to actually speed up their pilot time and their implementation time. But they did it precisely because they wanted to get to a zero trust architecture today in a very easy way to roll out. We helped them do that.
And I think the important part of that, too, is that obviously we all are working and thinking about where, where our zero trust journey is. And everyone kind of starts in a different place, right? And these guys are starting with identity. And obviously, that's near and dear to our heart. But, you know, there are a lot of pieces to the zero trust puzzle. And it is a it takes a village kind of situation where there are a lot of different technology partners and vendors who, who have to kind of work together. And that's why we, we work with open standards groups like ACT-IAC to do that, where, where government and industry kind of says, oh, how, how should these things work together? How, how should they talk together? Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Dean Scontris and Sean Frazier, thanks so much for joining us to talk about IT modernization and security. And thanks to the folks at Duo Security and Cisco for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage of IT transformation and security in government on fedscoop.com or subscribe to our FedScoop radio channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in.